Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. You might understand what this feels like before you knew Christ, knew what it was like chasing this and chasing that. And every time you caught this or that, you're like, well, that didn't do anything for me. It did something for a little bit, but it didn't just didn't last. So now I got to chase this. And then when I catch that, I discover that, well, that's kind of empty calories too. And then, well, maybe the happiness is here and I'll go pursue that. And I catch that. And it's like, well, there's no sustenance there either. That's the frustration of sin. And God's like, I don't want you to be frustrated in pursuing this or that. Pursue me. Have you ever tried to eat just one potato chip? It's so hard to do, isn't it? That one chip just doesn't satisfy. So you eat another and then another until you've eaten practically the whole bag. And then before you know it, you feel miserable and you can't believe what you've done. Well, as Pastor James shares, pursuing the things of this world can make you feel miserable too. And just like that bag of chips, the world never really satisfies. But pursuing a relationship with God always does. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Hosea chapter 4 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Open your Bible to the book of Hosea. Hosea comes right after Daniel. So if you start at Genesis, just keep going. Just keep going. We're kind of just cruising through these minor prophets to get a good idea or an understanding of why these letters, these books exist, and uh, really what the Lord was telling his people back then, but kind of what he's telling us today. Because What's stated in here has direct personal application to us in our lives and where we serve him. But before we apply it to ourselves, we have to understand what was going on then. Okay, so what I'm going to try to do right now for the next like two minutes is give you some background. Okay, some uh, context is what we call that. So in Hosea, when he was, he's a prophet, minor prophet, meaning his, his letter is short. Okay, he's not, he's not minor in like, you know, he's B team. And Jeremiah and Isaiah were A-team, if you know what that means. Like, if you played high school sports, you get that, right? There's JV and there's varsity. They're at the same level. They're, they're all prophets. His letter is just shorter in, in, in just length, right? So uh, he was serving kind of as a contemporary of Amos, um, and he had a message to deliver to the nation of Israel that they were rebelling against God. And because they were rebelling against God, God was going to, um, well, he was going to deliver on his promise, we like to think of the promises of God as always like are good things, which they are. Uh, what no prosperity preacher or anything will ever tell you is that sometimes the promises of God are punishment. Because if you choose to do wrong or disobey him, then the, the, eventually the bill is going to come to your table. Somebody's got to pay the price, right? So Israel had been functioning as a nation. They're in the promised land for hundreds of years. And we just went through the book of Leviticus, and I know you're sorry that you missed that. Um, if you if you are, you're like, no, I really wasn't. Um, you can go back to our website and watch all the teachings there. But we just went through Leviticus, where this was all laid out for us. And actually, in Leviticus uh, chapter 26, we're gonna. It, he talks about, look, if you obey me, I'm gonna bless you. If you disobey me, then I'm gonna correct you. 
And part of that correction is going to be the effect on your land environmentally. There's not going to rain anymore. Uh, you're going to experience drought and all this good stuff. So chapter four, uh, and however far we get into this, just really kind of has this courtroom scene where God is communicating to the children of Israel, okay, you broke these laws, now here's what's going to happen to you. Verses or chapters one through three are all about Hosea, and he was commissioned by God or called by God to marry, uh, to marry, uh, I can always mess up her name, Gomer. I want to say Hagar, and I know it's not Hagar, it's Gomer, or it's Gomer, as you technically pronounce that, but she, he married her, she was a prostitute, and God was illustrating the fact that he has united himself with us, and as, as humans, we're, we're always unfaithful to him. He's faithful, we are unfaithful. If we're real with ourselves and if we're honest, um, he is always faithful. Uh, I, in this story, as we talked about last week, I'm never the Jose in the story. Never. I'm always Gomer, right? Gomer, and I, that's a weird name. Gomer. Uh, it sounds more, you know, Middle Eastern, I guess. But I, I, I'm always Gomer in the story. I'm never Hosea. Never. He alone is faithful and true. Okay, so chapter four, like I said, sets up this courtroom kind of scenario, if you want, where the Lord's going to start bringing his case of how they've broken his covenant. And look at verse one, it says, hear hear the word of the Lord. This is Hosea, the prophet, speaking the word given to him by God to the people of the northern tribes of Israel. Okay, Um, and in case you don't know that. After Solomon died, his, his son took over, and then the, the kingdom split in two. You have the northern tribes and the southern tribes. You have Israel, and then you have Judah. Okay, so if you see in your Bible where it's referencing like Israel and then Judah, it's because the nation split. That's why that's there, okay? Um, another word for uh, Israel that we'll see in here is uh, Ephraim, because that was the biggest tribe in the northern part. And so oftentimes, uh, you can substitute Israel for Ephraim just to clear out any confusion there. But hear the word of the Lord, uh, O people of Israel. See, northern tribe. Uh, The Lord has brought charges against you, saying, there is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. You make vows and break them. You kill and steal and commit adultery. There is violence everywhere, one murder after another. That is why your land is in mourning and everyone is wasting away. Even the wild animals and birds of the sky and the fish of the sea are disappearing. So here from the very beginning, those first three verses, God's charges against Israel. And really, if you just take a step back and you look at that, he's listing about five things from the Ten Commandments that they have broken. You're lying all the time. Uh, you're making vows and you're breaking them. Uh, you're, you're, you're killing and you're stealing and you're committing adultery. He's like, you're breaking all these commands. And because you don't want to honor their, again, their covenant, not contract. Contracts can be broken. Covenants are not meant to be broken. He's like, because you don't want to honor the covenant that you agreed with me upon, go back to the book of Exodus, and not just Exodus, but also in Deuteronomy, and not just in Deuteronomy, but also in Joshua. (laughs) Multiple times the children of Israel said, everything you say, we will do. They said that many times. And God is holding him to that just like he should. And he says, you're, you're just unfaithful. You're unfaithful to me. And, and you're abusing each other. Like, so he's, he has these charges against them. And because of their disobedience, this is the effect that it's having. It's, it's having their land is in mourning. 
Everyone's wasting away. Wild animals, birds, and fish, they're all disappearing. He goes on to say, don't point your finger at somebody else and try to pass the blame. My complaint, you priest, is with you. Okay, so verse 4 through verse 4, basically through verse 10, somewhere around 11, he's going to address the religious leaders of the land. So the, the, the accusation is general to everybody, but he's going to get specific where he's like, okay, now let me talk to you priests. Let me talk to you religious leaders. And don't point your finger at anybody else. Don't try to pass the blame on anybody else. It's, it's, it's you that I'm talking to. And we're really good at that, right? Deflecting blame. Like it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. It's, oh, it's because of this. It's like, no, 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 just own it. This is where you're at. And he's going to talk to the priest and his issue is with them as religious leaders. The, there will be other leaders that he addresses in a little bit, but it always has to start with the church. When God is going to discipline, it needs to start with the church. We are not exempt from God's discipline. Believe it or not, churches make mistakes. I don't know if you know that. Um, you probably do, because if you've spent one service in the church before, you're like, it's some messed up people. Yeah, we are. We are, and we, we, we have issues, and praise God that he hasn't given up on us, and we, as long as we're proactively paying attention to that and wanting to address those things and grow through those things and confess whatever we need to confess, then I think we're on a good track. The problem with the children of Israel is these religious leaders were capitalizing off of the rebellion, okay? So God has issues with them, and he's going to start with the house, so to speak. He says, verse 5, so you will, you will stumble in broad daylight and your false prophets will fall with you in the night. I will destroy Israel, your mother. My people are being destroyed because they don't know me since you priests refuse to know me. That's a problem. If your pastor doesn't know Jesus, go to another church. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now, I know Jesus. I've been walking with Jesus for 20 years, okay? I have surrendered my, at, well, I don't even know how old I am. Um, I got saved at 19, so that plus however old I am, that's how long I've been saved. But I surrendered my life to Jesus as a 19-year-old kid, and so I know the Lord. The problem with these priests is they have no relationship with God at all. None. This is a job. This is a way to get money. And this is, for some of these guys, they're Levites, so it's a part of their family lineage. However, they have no relationship with God at all. So how can you lead somebody to God if you don't even know God? If this seems like a weird problem to have, I would venture out to say that there's a lot of churches in America where the leader doesn't even know God. Because this could be a good gig. This could be a really good gig if you do it right. If you do it right, and there's ways where you can do preaching and pastoring right, where you gain enough traction, you gain enough followers, and then you get the book deals, and then you get the d- digital Bible study deal, right? Like, if I can make a book and go through a book or some sort of topical teaching or whatever else, and then I can put that Bible study out there and people buy that, and then, my, man, my bank account just increases and increases and increases. My popularity increases and increases and increases. This can be a really good gig. And that's unfortunately how some people see it. So just because somebody stands behind a pulpit, this is just wood. That's all it is. And seems like they represent the Lord. Just be careful. Just be cautious. Because here you have priests who dress right. They talk right. 
They seem like they're doing everything right, but they don't know God at all. And the people suffer as a result of that because that's what God says. He's like, my people are being destroyed because they don't know me. Since you priests refuse to know me, they flat out refuse to have a relationship with God. Why? Because then they need to be held accountable. Lo and behold, they're being held accountable anyways. So since you've forgotten the laws of God, I will forget to bless your children. The more priests there are, the more they sin against me. It should be the opposite, right? The more priests there are, that should be a good thing. But it's turned out to be a bad thing in Israel. And really what God is probably instituting here is that he is cutting off the priesthood of Israel, so to speak. Now, there's going to be high priests and all that good stuff in the New Testament, but there is one high priest. His name is Jesus, and it's and he's not from the tribe of Levi. He's not from the tribe of Levi. So God here is kind of pronouncing judgment on these guys of like, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. He's like, I, I'm going to, I refuse. He goes on to say, you know, or he says within that, that, that verse there in six, I refuse to recognize you as my priest since you've forgotten the laws. He, he's going to remove them from their office. He, he, he will take care of his business, all right? Since you've forgotten the laws, I'm going to forget to bless your kids. Uh, the more priests are, the more they sin against me. Verse, uh, the rest of that, verse seven, they have exchanged the glory of God for the shame of idols, and I know your translations may phrase that a little bit differently, but in, in one sense, it's like they've, they've, they've given up on in doing anything that's glorifying to God, and they've turned their attention from him to these false idols. These are the religious people. These are the religious leaders. These are the ones who, if anybody should know better, these guys should know better. But yet, they're, they're caught up in it, and they're, again... They're profiting from this. And I, I see, and maybe it's because this is what I do, but I, I see a lot of parallels with, it, with current stories that we're watching with empires collapsing, religious empires collapsing. There are people out there where you have to question, just like these guys, what are you doing this for? Is this for God or is this for yourself? And that's a fair question to ask of anybody who stands on a stage, Sunday morning, serves as a pastor. Why are you doing this? And there are some, they, they, they like to exchange the glory of God for the, for the shame of idols. Verse 8, when the people bring their sin offerings, the priests get fed. So, here's the, here's the amazing thing, so the priests are glad when people sin. No, no, like, no, your job is to help them to follow the Lord. Now, I'm never going to be able to, in one sense, like to get you to stop sinning, okay? Because that's, I don't have that ability. Um, but I hope that through the teaching of the Word of God, we, we won't be sinless, but maybe we will sin less, right? Like maybe we'll make better decisions, okay? These priests are like, no, no, keep, yeah, keep doing it. Why? Because they got to bring offerings to cover those sins, which means that they get what these guys are bringing to the temple to offer. So they love it. Like I said, this thing could be a really good gig if you're manipulating people, if you're not doing it for the right reasons. And I think our pastors, I think our preachers, I think our religious leaders should be held accountable and they should be held to a higher standard. And if you want to go out there and do whatever you want to do, then I think your name should be called out every once in a while. 
because, hey, (laughs) that's what you signed up for. We live in glass houses. And you should not be capitalizing, you should not be gaining off of people's rebellion against God. That's, that's absurd. But you saw that, we saw that throughout history. The Catholic Church has a lot of this within their, within their past, right? Yeah, hey, come, come, come make your confessions. Oh, you got to drop some money in the box though too, right? So what, would they be encouraging them to sin less? No, they would be encouraging them to, no, go ahead, do what you want to do. Why? Because we got more land we want to buy. We got to build some more buildings. It's ridiculous. It's gross. Is what it is. It's gross. And here God is like, I don't like this. I got a problem with this. You're doing this all wrong. So they're glad. It says, and what the priests do, the people also do because they're following the leadership. It, it flows from the top down. And so the people are, they're mimicking. They're following the, the priests as their leaders. He says, so now I will punish both priests and people for their wicked deeds. They will eat and still be hungry, meaning you will never be satisfied. In your pursuits, you will never be satisfied. In your rebellion and your rebellious acts and your pursuit for this and that, you will never, ever be satisfied. And this is something that applies to us directly. You might understand what this feels like before you knew Christ, knew what it was like chasing this and chasing that. And every time you caught this or that, you're like, well, that didn't do anything for me. It did something for a little bit, but it didn't, just didn't last. So now I got to chase this. And then when I catch that, I would discover that, well, that's kind of empty calories too. And that, well, maybe the happiness is here and I'll go pursue that. And I catch that. And it's like, well, there's no sustenance there either. That's the frustration of sin. And God's like, I don't want you to be frustrated in pursuing this or that. Pursue me. Find fulfillment in me. But here within the story, he's like, you're going to chase things and they will never, ever satisfy you. They just won't. It says they will play the prostitute and gain nothing from it, for they have deserted the Lord to worship other gods. Again, breaking yet another commandment. He says in verse 11, wine has robbed my people of their understanding. Wine is, they've, they've given themselves over to it. And that's, that's a cautionary thing as well. There's really nothing there stated about like, Wine is good or wine is bad. What he's saying is they've given themselves over to these things for control. And when you do that to any kind of substance, that's bad. It's just bad. Paul would have something to say about that in Ephesians chapter 5. You know, don't, don't, be, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be consumed with, with alcohol. Don't let something take away, you know, the control of who you are, so to speak, whether that be a... An, a beverage or something else like he's the instruction there in Ephesians 5 is be sober-minded be filled with the Holy Spirit let the Holy Spirit control you so there's always a cautionary thing there but with these people they're just they're giving themselves over to false gods to uh divulging in, in just sinfulness and then you know anything and everything is is up for grabs for these guys verse 12 it says they ask for uh, they ask a piece of wood for advice. <laughs> they think a stick will help them in the future or tell them the future, right? Longing after idols uh, has made them foolish. They have played the prostitute, serving other gods and deserting their gods. See, again, this just restated what, what they've been doing. And, and I love the way that this is New Living Translation, so I really appreciate the way they phrase this thing out. They're like, you're, you're praying to wood, you, you got a stick, and you think that stick's going to tell you the future. Like, 
when you look at it in, that, in those terms, you're thinking like, that's pretty crazy, right? Like, that is pretty insane. But this is where they're at. Whatever their idols are made out of, I don't care how cool you can carve. You can carve a set of ears on something. doesn't mean it can hear. You can carve a mouth into something. doesn't mean it can speak. And God is saying, why are you worshiping creation when you could be worshiping me? 13, it says, they offer sacrifices to idols on mountaintops. They go up into the hills and burn incense in the pleasant shade of oaks, poplars, and terabith trees. Like they're, they're doing all these ritualistic kind of things. They're on the mountaintops and surrounded by trees. And some of that, those worship practices are attributed to uh, Ashtoreth and all that good stuff, right? So they are, they're loving, again, they're loving creation more than creator. I love creation. I love creation. I love this earth. I love it. And you'll hear me say that a hundred times over. I love it. I think God is the most brilliant artist to have ever existed. Okay? I love mountains. Mountains are sweet. I love rivers. I love lakes. I love, I love the Gulf of Mexico. I don't care what any of these water snobs off the island say. I love the Gulf of Mexico. I love it. I don't care if it's brown or not. Man, it's wet. Better than what most people have. I'm like, and there's, it, it's fun and it's beautiful and it's relaxing. I love forests. I, I love, I love going to the desert. There's nothing, there's nothing better than a sunset or a sunrise in a desert sometimes, right? Like it's beautiful. It's amazing. But I don't worship any of that stuff. I worship the one who created that stuff. But I can love the stuff he made. And when I love and enjoy the things that he has made, it causes me to love and enjoy him all that much more. So I don't think Christians ought to be like fatalist or like, oh, just it's all going to burn anyways. Well, yeah, but we should be good stewards, right? Like I want to enjoy this earth as much as I can. And, um, you know, I, I want to chase down people who are throwing trash out their car windows and stuff. That makes me very mad, but... We shouldn't trash this place, man. This is what God has created. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So let's enjoy it, but let's not worship it. The, the rest of verse 13, it says, that is why your daughters turn into prostitutes and your daughters-in-law commit adultery. He's like, there's just from top to bottom, uh, you, this, is, this is like the domino effect of like, when you guys have turned away from me, these dominoes start to fall over. And it's like, you wonder, you wonder why... These things are happening, and there's a direct root, and it's because they turned away from God. It says, but why should I punish them for their prostitution and adultery? For your, your men are doing the same thing, sinning with whores and shrine prostitutes. Got to love the New Living Translation for that one, right? You're like, ah, yeah. You're like, whoa, that's a, wow. Uh, hey, that's what the word is, okay? Um, but I love that. He's like, nobody is off the hook. No one's off the hook. Everyone is guilty. Oh, foolish people, you refuse to understand, so you will be destroyed. Note that. This isn't that they can't understand. This is that they refuse to understand. Okay? It's not that they can't understand it. They can't plead ignorance on this thing. They are the ones, and, and their ancestors before them, they have all agreed and said to God, Everything you say, we will do. And now he's like, okay, I'm going to hold you accountable to that. Because that's what a relationship is about, right? If we make vows to each other, we should honor those things. We should respect those things. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless, red for the broken 
You've been listening to Bread for the Broken in a series that you just don't want to miss. Pastor James Grizzle has been walking through the messages that God gave to the prophets in the times that Judah and Israel were not only holding God at arm's length, but also suffering under oppression. It doesn't sound too different than when I let my own selfishness drive my decisions. Am I alone in that? What's amazing to me is that God's love for His children isn't conditional. I love that it's not dependent on what I do or what I don't do, but He does desire an authentic relationship with you and me, a friendship that isn't second best. I urge you to not replace Him with the things of this world that eventually fade away. Will you join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. or Thursday night at 7 p.m. to hear more of God's Word? For those of you that can't make it in person, don't worry. We live stream all of our services just for you. So find us on Facebook today. We like to keep faith simple and uncomplicated. So if you're looking for that and a laid-back atmosphere, then you'll be right at home with us. To find out more, head on over to breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. While you're there, look around a little. You'll find our location, a bunch of archived messages, and a place to give to the ministry. We'd love to have you partner with us as we praise the mighty name of the Lord Jesus together. And with that, we're coming to the end of our time together today. We're so glad you decided to spend your day with us here on Bread for the Broken. 